New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. These times seem dire, even apocalyptic. Wildfires are rampant, hurricanes are the size of states, and racism continues to rear its ugly head. Will we survive? Will humanity survive? Our guest today, spiritual guide, poet, and author, Mark Nepo says, in answer to the question, will humanity survive? I believe we will. Not because I deny the truth of these difficulties, not because we tried to reframe everything into a better light, but because all things are true. All things are not fair or just, but all things are true. And it is the call of each generation to make sure that we choose love over fear and kindness over cruelty one more time. And he goes on to say, each generation in each life takes its turn in opening one more time, in giving one more time, in standing in integrity in the thick of it all. Today, we'll be exploring and rediscovering some practices that will help us restore our basic human nature and contribute to the remaking of humanity yet one more time with our guest, Mark Nepo. Mark Nepo is a poet, philosopher, and a most eloquent storyteller. In 2015, he was given a Life Achievement Award by Age Nation, and in 2016, he was named by Watkins Mind, Body, Spirit as one of the most spiritually influential living people. He was part of Oprah Winfrey's The Life You Want Tour in 2014 and has appeared several times with Oprah on our Super Soul Sunday program on OWN TV. As a cancer survivor, Mark devotes his writing and teaching to the journey of inner transformation and the life of relationship. He's the author of many audio learning projects and over 20 books, including Drinking from the River of Light, The Life of Expression, The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters, and Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. Join us for the next hour as we explore 
Finding a center of gravity in the midst of the challenges of personal and global storms with our guest, Mark Nepo. I'm speaking with Mark in his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Mark, welcome once more to New Dimensions. Oh, it's wonderful to be with you again. Thank you so much. Well, it's my pleasure. We're not going to be able to cover all that I want to cover in this uh, brief hour that we have together here. So uh, I, but, you know, we're going to do the best we can here. (laughs) Uh, So first of all, I want to talk about storms as transformation. I mean, we don't usually put those two things together. So what can you tell us about storms as transformation? Well, storms, you know, both, and of course, when we look at, uh, I think the metaphor that really triggered or galvanized my way into the whole book um, is the notion how, and it's really redwood trees that out where you are in, in the Northwest, they're so enormous, so magnificent, and maybe with climate change, maybe one might be uprooted in a storm, but probably not and be damaged. But that's because they're so uh, strong, wide, and they're just magnificent. And and the metaphor that really for me was that we need to make sure our roots are strong, connected, our trunks are wide. And this is the work of a spiritual practice and relationship so that we can survive the storms of our day. So then when we look at storms, storms have been around forever, of course, and they are transformational agents, like it or not. <laughs> and um, and this also applies, you know, we can learn a lot from geological storms, weather storms, um, but they also apply to emotional storms and political storms and communal storms and uh, f- spiritual storms. And one of the, the paradoxes about storms, of course, storms uh, change things as they are. Now, one of the par- great paradoxes about storms is we go back uh, to a, a little known but amazing samurai turned poet, Masahide. Uh, who was a student of Basho, who actually I would have loved to have interviewed him, right? I mean, here he, what made him put down his sword for good to study to become a poet? And his most famous haiku um, is this. He says, you know, my barn having burned to the ground, I see the moon more completely. And encapsulated in those three lines is the difficulty and wonder and the transformational power of storms, because this in no way minimizes the loss of the barn. Let's imagine he built the barn. Um, There is the entire work of disappointment and loss and grief that cannot be skipped over or rationalized or put aside. And my barn having burned to the ground. For the first time, the vastness of the universe is before me. And so how do we move through the loss and the grief and be open to what has been open to us 
on the other side of the storm. So, you know, one of the things I've learned in my life personally is that what is opened in us is always more important than what opens us. Uh, you know, what opens us may be a, a, a terrible injustice, may be a tragic, unexpected uh, breakage uh, or death or longing or the rupture of a dream. That's all real. But we can become distracted even by the legitimate injustice of what opens us and never see the vastness that has been opened to us. And we have to do both. So you're saying we can't dwell on that or solidify that in some way that it becomes kind of who we are then is... is well, the di one of the, the difficulties, an archetypal difficulty for every soul and every human that's ever lived is that how do we refine the corridor of aliveness that is open to us for being here? And that means we can't uh, skip over the pain and breakage and loss. And we can't drown in it or make a permanent residence of it. We have to find the corridor of aliveness that allows us to process our experience and land in the opening that the storm has made in us and around us. Another deep paradox that's about storms that's captured in a, an anonymous Japanese verse from the 14th century is that in the center of every storm, like a navel, is a silence that a gull can fly through. It's a silence that a gull can fly through. And so how do we, we can't, again, we can't skip over it. We have to move through the storm into the heart of it where everything paradoxically is calm and centered. And then of course we move into, I have a chapter in there, and this all led me to a chapter that looks at um, what are the actual, how do storms form, actual storms in mm. weather, how do they form, what do they do, and how do they dissolve? And, and there are great lessons there um, for, for all of us. You know, storms traditionally evolve or form by low pressure systems and high pressure systems by an, an instability hmm. of forces, an instability of forces. And while that storm is happening, even though there's a calm center, of course, there's a lot of damage that's being done in lots of different ways. And one of the, you know, the traditional uh, ways that the most damaging, of course, is, is, is uh, cloud to ground lightning strikes. Now, it was interesting to discover that lightning is caused when two powerful energy centers vie for primacy. And the result, they try to discharge their energy and they're in conflict with each other. And their energy erupts as a lightning strike that will, as we know, without discretion or aim, it will just destroy anything in its path. Well, it's very powerful to realize that 
the unstable air and energy systems that are around us in our society globally today are, um, you know, charged grounds areas of of unstable energy. I mean, you can see the the insurrection of January sixth as a social lightning strike, mm-hmm. political lightning strike, communal lightning strike, and so you know one of the things. Uh, that I l- discovered was there was a term in medieval times, there were these these kind of alchemists or sorcerers known as tempestare. And they were people who somehow had the ability or the skill to both create storms and dissipate them. Well, we have more. You mean than, liter- literally? They, yeah, they actually, yeah, they, yeah. They were they were okay. considered like you know magicians, medieval magicians, mm-hmm. who could literally create storms and disperse them, dissolve them. And we have more than enough people creating storms. We have more than enough uh, agents and people, uh, agents of social disruption and change, who out of fear and all other kinds of perennial forces are are creating storms but we we need to regain the skill of how to dissolve them and we'll get to that in just one moment to really flesh this out a little more thoroughly i want to remind our listeners i'm here with mark nepo and his newest book is called surviving storms finding the strength to meet adversity. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, marknepo.com. And he spells his name, last name, N-E-P as in Peter O, marknepo.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Mark Nepo, and we're talking about dissipating storms, possibly, or grounding them, or, you know, what are our lightning rods that will take that energy that's created, the dynamics that we're living in today, the storms in which we're living in today. So help us from your experience, what can we do? Well, well, in general, let me just speak, you know, kind of again specifically, and then move into a lar- our time, and then the larger dynamic archetypally. But you know, in in the 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 weather of storms, 
they dissolve when the, the force of unstable air dissipates and we are grounded by energy more than we're incited by it. And then the storm dissipates and then and everything dissolves and go and becomes peaceful so this is you know when we translate this to our human condition uh it makes total sense that we need to ground ourselves and remove ourselves from unstable environments both inwardly relationally and culturally so how do we do this? You know, well, what, as the, the piece that you opened with in the introduction, thank you, you know, every generation, it's our turn. And there are every tradition offers us tools for how to be more grounded than in turbulence. I know that you often talk about paradox there's a place that you talk about how the heart, let's say, if we really ground ourselves, not in our head and our ego and all of that, but really go into our heart, our heart is capable of holding the paradox of both suffering and beauty. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I, you know, this kind of, to me, as I said in the introduction in your quote, is that hey, all these things are happening, not to deny that. There is suffering for sure right now. And yet there is also this beauty that we can now see the moon, as you mentioned in the Basho uh, haiku. So I I think that one of the things that's, and, and it is so true, and we can use this image of how, you know, certainly, there are rainy days, and when cl- there's cloud cover, we feel the cold. It's it's not imagined. We feel the cold. We feel the rain. Uh, we're blocked from the light, and yet the light is always there. The light is always there, and we are challenged as human beings, as spirits and body in time on Earth, to experience both. Just because, you know, one of the, the uh, I think, humble uh, limitations of being human, the spirit's infinite, but the human being part is very finite. And one of our, is that when we experience something, we make the whole world our experience. If I'm cold, the world's a cold place. If I'm afraid, the world's a fearful place. If I'm broken, the world's a terribly broken place. And, you know, one of the things I learned so powerfully from my cancer journey so many years ago is that to be broken is no reason to see all things as broken. That, in fact, I I must face the brokenness, the fear, the cold, the, the disorientation when I experience those things. But functional faith, not faith in an idea or a person or a religion, is belief in life itself that while I'm in that very real partial but true state, the light and warmth of the universe is still there. 
And it's the, you know, we talk about rightfully about ethnic diversity in our time. This is built on a spiritual diversity that the diversity of life itself is renewing and resilient. And we need, so when I'm cold, I need the light. Even if, even if I can't reach it in this moment, I need not to remap the world as being lightless. And I think one of the things that's contributing worldwide to this kind of perfect storm uh, of dissociation and retreating into our very own opinion so deeply is the fact that I think so many people, especially we have a young generation that is completely divorced from their direct connection to life Mm. and the mystery. And the eternal forces, and you couple that with uh, the inexorable uh, rush of the vacuum of social media and the internet and virtual reality. Yeah, I just want to say I want to stop you for a moment. You know that you say, like maybe young people are disconnected from that aliveness to life. Uh, and it seems as if they're very connected. They have Facebook and they have Instagram and they're, you know, Zoom and this and that and the other. And, and they, they're just, they're, well, to- so in yeah. some ways they're very connected, but you're saying there's something missing here. Yeah. And I don't want to point, I don't mean to point it just on young people because it's affecting everyone. But when I say young people, we can touch on this in a minute. I'm particularly saying that because so many of these mass shooters have been young white males, 18, 20. It's just astonishing. So we can come back to that. But the, the connection and, you know, there's a whole first part of the book where I try to map where we are in our society today and try and understand this craziness that we're in. And I think part of it is that 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 sense of connection, while there is some kind of connection, when we are not connected to life, that becomes a hollow connection. It's not a true connection. So, you know, you know, in 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 Roman times, there they the Colosseum was deliberately constructed as a way to divert and disperse rebellious energy among the masses. They were brought together and they were vicariously put all this energy into watching horrible things and uh, Christians be eaten by lions and gladiators fight to the death. And then what that successfully did was dissipate their their rightful rebellious energy to want a better life, to want to be treated better. You know, uh, let me have bread and water. Mm. Let me vote. Let me, you know, well, in our age, it's not deliberate. I don't think anybody consciously did this, but you have a couple of things that have come together over the last 50 years. One is reality, the reality TV syndrome, if you will, which is anything but real. And it vicariously makes people feel like they're participating in something. But in the end, they're not. And whether they vote for someone who's singing or whether they cheer for someone 
who uh, on fear factor who is doing in, insufferable things to get attention at the end they turn off the tv and they're still alone and they're and they don't have a connection you couple that with the social media which has through also through just the horrible greed has created you know facebook and all of these things have created these algorithms that simply steer people away from any common agreed sense of reality to an isolated personalized bubble mm-hmm. that only reinforces what they already know so now you're still you're doubly alone true enough there's um there's something that you um write about there's a moment in time in your life that um just particularly moved me and and I know it moved you in the moment. It was during your cancer treatment, and you were at chemo. And the nurse, you had a friend with you, but the nurse just couldn't do the IV, and it was very, very painful. Yeah. And can you describe that moment? Because this has to do with, I think, what we're talking about, about connection. Yeah, so uh, I was... It was later on in my chemo treatments, uh, the third or fourth one. And as often happens, people know who are listening who've done been through this that, you know, your veins start to get brittle and and uh, used up, and it's harder and harder to find a vein to put the IV in. And I was in one of those places. So the nurse, kind kind nurse, she had tried four or five times, and of course, the more she tried and the more it didn't work, the more afraid. Uh, I became, and uh, how are we going to do this? I can't do this. And my dearest, oldest friend, Robert, who was with me, he just leaned over and started to rub my forearm. And, you know, with that simple touch, he restored my connection. You know, I was under the cloud cover of fear and pain, and he restored my connection to everything in life that wasn't broken that wasn't afraid and i relaxed and and then she was able to get the needle in which also reminds me of another story that is just so precious um you uh, you've been a sailor you you've been sailing little boats for a long long time and it was something I've, i've not heard this nautical term but when when uh when you're sailing in a fierce wind there's something called close hauled yeah and and this has to do with fear yeah Uh, it's an analogy you use uh, make a a point uh make one more point about the last story because what what that story has to do is that that's part of reconnecting with life directly is we need to be be in touch with literally holding and listening are the oldest medicines alive and if we're not held or holding, if we're not listening and being listened to, that makes that isolation bubble all the more uh, drastic. And so that means, you know, and the, and the pandemic only heightened all of this even further. So all of us are needing to take the risk to reach out and reconnect directly with life and each other again to 
ground us away from the inciting energies of being so isolated. So to go back to the sailing, you know. Uh, yes, before I, we you know, go that, I'm, I'm, we're going to have to go into break. I'm so sure. sorry. And then we'll go back to that story. <laughs> uh, but I, I just so appreciate what you're saying about this personal connection and, and deeply. I, I just watched again uh, Avatar. And uh-huh. I, I just saw it again with new eyes saying, I see you. That phrase, I see you seeing one another truly. I'm here with Mark Nepo. He's the author of Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Mark Nepo. He's a poet and an author and just a, a spiritual guide. And um, I just I, I just loved uh, this book. It's just so thick and dense with thoughts that help us along the path. And I, one could spend years with this book, I must uh-huh. say. <laughs> you know, I had to read it within a couple of weeks. and uh, But here we are. I was curious about how we deal with our fear, and you give this wonderful analogy. Actually, there, there are two analogies you give, a, a dream that you had of an ancient Tang dynasty yeah. master, that dream. But first, let's talk about the sailing. So, you know, I grew up on a sailboat that my father had built and spent a lot of time there. And, of course, these things yield these metaphors and teaching so many years later but what in sailing when you are close hauled that means when the you're going almost into the wind as close as you can and the the wind is filling that sail powerfully and your whole the the sheet the 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 lines that hold the sail are bringing it in and that makes the boat lean heal they call it healing so that actually the low side you at times can get the rail in the water and that's exhilarating um but it's actually you're not the fastest way you move is going downwind not into the not that way actually though it feels exhilarating but when it gets too when you're healing too much the only way uh to right the boat is to release the sails spill the wind and as you turn directly into the wind the boat rights and it slows down and stops and the analogy the metaphor is that our fear fills us so powerfully that we get off center we lean we even get our low side in the turbulent waters of it all and and it does it seems counterintuitive but the quickest way to release our fear is to turn directly into it so that we and let go so that we spill the wind of the fear 
and the boat just the boat of our being simply writes itself and starts to flutter and slow down. Now that doesn't mean that that we don't act in some way. Uh, let's say if we have a fear or an agitation about, let's say you know racism, for example, that and we really want to do something about that or 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 some other issue. It doesn't mean that we don't do something, that there's not no, some of, action. Of course not. The distinction here is that externally, we do need to act on things that are that we're afraid. If there's violence, we need to try to quell it. If there's racism, we need to try to st- stop it. You know, if something... If there's something that is fearful, say the, the the stove has suddenly is burning, we need to put it out, turn the thing off. So that all is when we fear comes from the outside. When fear comes from the inside, we need to move directly into it and let go. So how do we recognize that inside fear? How you know, sometimes we're not even conscious of it. Well, I think we are more than we think we are. Mm. <laughs> I think part of the fear is denial. And so we know when we're afraid, just as when you stick your hand in the water, you know it's wet. If we stop and are honest, we know when we're afraid and we know where it's coming from. So if I'm afraid, you know, say that uh, for some reason, you know, a, a, a tornado came through and a tree almost fell on my house, but I've been traumatized. And so now, you know, I've put like extra locks on the door and I have a weather scanner. But, you know, there hasn't been another tornado in 10 years, but I'm tra- I'm traumatized. That fear's coming from within, no matter how legitimate it is. And so it doesn't matter how many locks I put on the door or if I buy a more sophisticated weather scanner. The source of the fear is in the trauma. I have to deal with it inside. It's not going to be quelled by putting another lock on the door or getting a more sophisticated weather scanner. So this leads to the second story. And during my cancer journey, um, you know, I was visited uh, by the poet from the Tang Dynasty, Tu Fu, is a great Chinese poet who I, as a young man, I always loved his work across the centuries, felt like one of those people I wished I could have sat down and talked with. And in my 30s, when I was going through my cancer journey, he appeared to me in a dream as a guide one or two times. And the first time was around fear because I was frightened of everything. I had never been through anything that serious. And I just you know, on a scale of one to 10, every time I met something, it was 14. I was just, you know, couldn't stop it. And in the dream, he was sitting on a beach, moving a stick in the sand. And I ran up to him and I said, how do I block the fear? And without looking at me, he ignored me. I got angry. I got in his face. I said, how do I block the fear? And without looking at me, he waved the branch above his head and he said, how does a tree block the wind? And then he disappeared and I woke up. And of course, the lesson was a tree doesn't block the wind, it lets it through. And the only thing to do was to let it through the same way that that boat, when you let go of the sails, you let the wind through. It's holding on to it that makes the boat lean on its side. 
with such veracity. And so it's a, it's a great challenge for all of us. How do we face what we're afraid of and let it through? And so, you know, today, whether it's personally or politically or, or culturally, we're seeing all kinds of people holding on to, the, to those sails tightly, and it only makes the fear worse. And so when we choose fear over love, which in every generation, as I said, we all have that choice and it's our turn. Once we let fear dominate, then we only seek things that will affirm what we already know. Ah, so so we make the other wrong. We make, we feel, or we feel victimized. And, and that may not be so effective. I mean, we may be a victim of physical or emotional abuse. That may be true. But if we then stop it somehow and, and just sit in that victimhood, we may never get to some other place that is more effective than just if i am if all i do is confirm what i already know i never learn that's not knowledge that's not learning learning is seeking to move into what i don't know so if i am hurt if i am betrayed and hurt by love it's my job to understand what went wrong, including my part in it, but not to say that love is evil. Mm. It's to say that that, ex that experience of it was cruel. That experience of it was not to be trusted, but it's not then to banish love. And I think we have, or in a time in society where whatever is happening in the particular is being uh, in, in a huge general swipe banished. You know, we can't, we have to keep learning how to love and live better. We have to keep learning the skills of, the, you know, yeah, if I, um, you know, to use a stove analogy again, if I'm, you know, if I'm cooking on the stove and I burn myself, well, I, I need to learn how to better use the stove, not banish cooking. <laughs> right, right. You know, uh, in your book, I know that you talk about empathy and that there the need for that. And it reminded me of something that happened uh, when uh, George Floyd was um mm. murdered and and there was a moment when someone named Sheena Mahaltra uh, was leading a Black Lives Matter gathering and and then it got broadcast and she had us all sit in silence for nine and a half minutes mm -hmm. and like maybe there were six thousand people there live and then all over the world we all did this and I, I recognize that we were all in silence together, and that was one thing. But when I read your book, I got another message about that, and that was that we were in a collective, empathetic moment. Yeah. It was, that's why it was so strong, because it took us all into to going into that heart 
place of empathy. And we all had an experience, a collective experience. I'd, I'd love for you to, if you have any yeah, so comment this, this on that. This also connects with, so let's, let's back up a little bit. Okay. And that is that the, you know, the epidemic, the pandemic has been a storm of sorts, disrupting humanity's lives and the collective life. And, and part of that, the, sto- the, the silence in the center of the storm of the pandemic is the fact that, you know, the word Sabbath in the Jewish tradition means the one day we don't turn one thing into another. Humanity was forced into a global Sabbath which made everyone very uncomfortable. You know, we can't, we couldn't dream, we couldn't scheme, we couldn't manipulate, we couldn't turn one thing into another. We had to uncomfortably be with the miracle of what is, the truth and joy and pain of living and each other and face ourselves and each other. Now, in the midst of that, we had this horrible thing happen where George Floyd was murdered horribly, insensitively, and in in normal times, quote, whatever that is, um, you know, the, the heart of it, the closer we are to it, the more real an incident is. And then the farther away it ripples, it, it becomes still relevant, but now it becomes political. Now it becomes an idea. Now it becomes a, uh, an echo of the true moment. And some of that you just can't help. But what I feel happened is that we were so, as a, as humanity, in such a raw, unplanned, uncovered moment that this was even around the world. I mean, in 60 city countries all around the world were massive protests because in that moment, in that synapse of consciousness, it was not an idea. It was real. It had remained real briefly to everyone to everyone and so it reached and this is again the power of grounding ourselves away from the lightning energy that incites us into the lasting energy of humanity i'm here with mark nepo and we're talking about surviving storms personal and collective And that's the name of his book, Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Mark Nepo, author of Surviving Storms, which is what we're doing. We really feel the effects right now, outwardly and inwardly. And um, we're living in a, a time of a, just a lot of isolation in some ways. And we're also living in a time, I know that you talk about two things, one about progress and incarnation. And I would love for you to help me understand exactly what you're talking about there, what those two aspects are, progress and incarnation, and what they might mean for us personally. Sure, sure. So for me, as I understand, come to understand this and let me give you a quick story that helps helps highlight that so say that there's a an indigenous tribe that after years of hardship and persecution they're just going to move they just leave they, the whole community ups they go on a long pilgrimage and trek to find a new place to call home which they, is what the creek indians had to do and call the the, the trail of tears yeah oh my goodness yeah. of course yes the one right exactly so in this imagined story they come upon uh, the foothills of the mountains and somewhere and at a certain height they see this tremendous view that's just holy and they say this is where we're going to be and this is because we want our children to wake up and every day see and feel this so they settle there and the adult generation they clear all the trees on this landing on this plateau so that that view is there for their children that's progress the fact that those children didn't have to clear the trees is progress. So that is the, that, you know, every generation, we, we all know this, we try to leave the world a little better for the next generation. But those children, when they wake up, no one can open their eyes and see that vastness but them. That's incarnation. So, there are things we can do to make life better here on earth. That's progress. But every person who's ever lived will have the same set of tasks, challenges, wonders, and joys to meet and face. Everyone will have to open their eyes and see. Everyone will have to open their heart and love. And no one can do that for you. That's incarnation. And... I've come to believe more in incarnation than progress. And I feel that this again moves to that we all, that assumes an inner responsibility for every person. We, we can rightfully blame the lack of progress or the cost of progress or how messed up everything is out there. It's still incumbent on us to choose love over fear and peace and kindness over cruelty because it's our turn so let me talk about because i think this is very helpful here uh, there's a chapter in there about the purpose of goodness and you know and this this came from reading the work of neil degrasse tyson the the physicist a wonderful physicist our contemporary physicist and and he had this book on uh, you know called flippantly or you know half tongue-in-cheek called astrophysics for people in a hurry well it's anything but a quick <laughs> read it's very real and wonderful and helpful but this all comes from his 
his imagination of how physicists of like mind, of how the universe came into being. What he suggests is that in the very beginning, before the universe actually formed, there was this, you know, this kind of energy battle between positive matter and antimatter. And the positive matter was called photons and the, the antimatter was called hadrons. And, um, and he says that when he imagines that when there was a billion and one photons and a billion hadrons, just one more, the universe burst into being. And he goes on to say that if, you know, if the, as the planets formed, if the earth had settled a little closer to the sun, all the water would have evaporated, there'd be no life. And likewise, if it had settled a little farther away, it all would have frozen. And I was struck, uh, and there'd be no life. And I was so struck by how we're here just by such a small, important gesture. And then as I was doing my errands in the day and in the week and going to the grocery store, and I think I was in line at the drugstore, and all of a sudden it hit me, you know, this was not a description of how the universe began, it is the description of an ongoing creation that every day we have to have one more photon than Hadron for life to continue. And this is the purpose of goodness, that every day there is one more gesture of kindness that has to outweigh the antimatter, the cruelty, the indifference, and we never know what gesture it's going to be. And so humbly, we have, you know, it could be that if you tomorrow wind up helping someone who's dropped their groceries in the parking lot, that could be the photon that keeps life going tomorrow. Right. Very nicely, nicely said. I. This just reminds me that you describe what the heart really wants. What the heart really wants is aliveness. That really struck me, Mark. Can you elaborate on that? Well, that, that the heart, you know, that our soul, I don't believe, has ambition. <laughs> We're the ones who translate, who try to turn the call of aliveness into some kind of purpose, which is fine. It's wonderful as long as we don't forget that the real goal of the heart is it wants to be alive. And so just as a fire doesn't care what kind of, it doesn't care if you put elm on it or pine, it will accept any wood to keep it burning bright. The soul, the fire of the soul is kept alive by the, by care. It doesn't really matter what you care for. As long as you care, as long as you contribute to that one, per, that gesture of goodness, the fire of the heart will burn bright. And I think that, again, we all need to rediscover the corridor of aliveness that is there for us. And everything else, when we inhabit that, starts to shift into a, a, a more graceful perspective of our relationship to life itself. So one one would think like fear is a kind of contractive energy. It it contracts us. It narrows fear, us. Our yeah, fear to me 
the the right the legitimate place of fear is to alert us to authentic danger okay we being human inflate that and then we start to preclude our ability to connect with our aliveness so again i'll go back to the stove for a quick example i burn myself on the stove i go whoa that's not good and then I go by the stove next time and I say, you know, I know I was like two inches from the the burner. That's the legitimate danger. But, you know, I say to myself, because I'm human, I'm, I'm going to add another six, eight, maybe a foot. I'm going to add a <laughs> foot just to be safe. So now I got a foot and two inches. And then I start to believe that that's the real line of danger and so the more that i add to that ring of fear to be safe which is human the farther away i get from you and from life yeah, itself yeah. and so now i can build up such a cone of fear that i'm reaching and i can't reach it i go boy life is terrible i'm so lonely because i'm trapped in my own ring of fear which has kept me away from, so fear gets its power from not looking, mostly, from not looking. The more we don't look, the more fear exaggerates itself, gets bigger, gets bigger. And then we are in the cocoon of what's imagined and not real. And this, again, overlaps with the imagined world of social media, the imagined world of reality TV, the imagined world of one opinion, the imagined world of one point of view. You know, D.H. Lawrence has a, a poem, New Heaven and Earth, in which he, he bemoans, he says, you know, how he just became so collapsed unto himself. He said, horror of horrors, when I was kissing my wife, I was kissing myself. How do I break this maniacal, this maniacal self-inclusion? Right, right. Now in this last 30 seconds, I, <laughs> I'm just reminded of uh, going back to aliveness and, and your statement that uh, uh, belief is a state of aliveness, of experience, and not uh, a place of certainty to land in. So that's why, like, look again, open our eyes, open, open to it all. And I would, I would want to say, as we're coming to a close of this this time, that for anyone who's listening, and this is all can be overwhelming as we understand mm. this. Mother Teresa said, "Courage is doing small things with love." So all we have to do to contribute is to be awake and open-hearted and committed to that one gesture of goodness wherever we are called to enact it. Oh, beautifully said. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Mark Nepo, a philosopher, poet, author, and his latest book, Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, Mark Nepo, N-E-P is in Peter O, marknepo.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions.
This is program number 3,765. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.